You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 273, we're discussing a Jurassic Park retrospective and Flash and Shazam film reveals. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And that's all you got today, guys. Just Captain America and Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There it is, guys. Sonny and Troy. Troy, we've been missing you, brother. He's out, still grinding away, paying for them hot toys, paying for those fig hunts, all that plastic, all that McFarland is coming at us. And Sonny's out playing tennis. That's right. He's playing tennis. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody knows that he'll be out there with his full, like, cotton headband glory, the short shorts. (laughs) Just imagine, guys, Sonny in short shorts. Well, we've got a special episode for you this week. Being that it's just Carlos and I here, and we're both quite large fans of the Jurassic franchise, it is Jurassic June, and we thought we'd take a look back at the Jurassic Park series. Now, we've been doing these look backs these retrospectives recently and i become quite fond of them they're not so much a review it's more of a look back at the franchise as a whole our experiences with it and our thoughts even 28 years out man let that sink in jurassic park we're gonna be talking about it today just about 28 years after it first debuted in theaters in 1993 that make you feel old Oh, man, I, I literally was like Matt Damon at the end of Saving Private Ryan right there yeah. as you were talking. I just I just aged. It's crazy, man, to think that that movie has been around. That iconic movie has been around for that long. And we're also going to touch on the follow-ups, The Lost World, as well as Jurassic Park 3. Carlos and I here have an affinity, a love for The Lost World, and we're going to be talking all about that towards the end of the episode. We also got to get into some Flash and Shazam film reveals. Both of those films are actively in production right now, and we got some pretty intriguing looks into two suits in particular, one of them being that yellow oval Batman from The Flash. Funny that the first reveal from The Flash is indeed a Batman symbol. And second, we're going to look at Shazam. We had a nice lighthearted reveal of the Shazam suit coming just off the heels of what was a production leak of the new suit so we're going to talk about that and we're also going to talk about a super pets teaser you know capitalizing maybe on a bit of the heat coming off the back end of some of these reveals we've got the animated film coming from Dwayne Johnson with a whole list of actors they're going to be filling that out including his boy Kevin Hart which I've heard you know some people aren't too happy about but I love myself a good Dwayne Johnson Kevin Hart crossover so looking forward to breaking all this down with you man and it's even ghostbusters day today as we record so maybe we'll touch a little bit on that the things that we maybe didn't get out of ghostbuster day but first things first and guys we're not doing our weekend nerd first we've got to pump our live stream with the vigilante 1939 boys now if you listen to this on thursday it is actually a day ago so you can go over to our youtube page and check out the replay of the live stream where we are talking and breaking down the very first episodes of Loki coming off of Disney+. Plus. Yes, we're back into the MCU Disney Plus series dropping weekly. 
And of course, we got to get together with our good friends over there to break this down as we have and as this has become a tradition with these shows. So I'm really looking forward to breaking that down with the boys tomorrow. But guys, you got to listen to that replay. Audio will be in the feed probably next Tuesday if you don't want to go over and see our faces as we talk about this. As I get all wound up about how amazing and how connected this show is and how important this show is going to be and how brilliant my good friend Kevin Feige is for putting this in front of us. <laughs> so go check that out. And now, second things. We got to talk about our weeks in nerd. The goddamn Batman. I'm sure there's another wave of McFarlane. We've got some hot toys coming. I talked to Marty next week. Captain America Avengers Endgame hot toy should be in hand by the time we're doing this episode. But let's see. That's all in the future, man. What would you get up to this week? This week? This week actually had a, a bit of a funny story. So it started off with um, my wife's birthday. So my wife's birthday rolls around at the door. We get a delivery from Bottleneck Gallery just coincidentally. We bought that thing a little while ago. But uh, it was a beautiful One Roman 84 poster that was done by uh, an artist that we both really like named Ruiz Borgas who works with bottleneck all the time. But because for Valentine's day, I had bought her the golden Eagle uh, poster or print that he had done for one Roman 84. We got kind of a uh, early access to two limited run lenticular posters that he did. One of the Eagle armor again, and then one of the one Roman in a regular costume. So I jumped on that for her and it showed up and man, is it ever the coolest thing this is my first lenticular poster but it's just neat like it's the same beautiful artwork that he had done the first time but with this kind of 3d image and you feel like you could reach in and like shake gal's hand kind of thing so it, that's so it cool. was How appropriate cool. that arrived on her birthday yeah and it was, yeah totally it was it was the coolest thing that it showed up on on her birthday <laughs> actual birthday and then uh i had uh picked her up a Cotabakia fine art statue of Wonder Woman from Wonder Woman 84. I had sent her a picture of it when I tripped across it in a store a while ago. And she's like, ah, that thing's cool, but don't want to spend the money right now. And uh, I ended up finding it again and uh, consulted our, our boy Troy there. And he's like, dude, no question. You got to buy that thing. It's like the perfect hybrid of gal and a comic book Wonder Woman. So it's like, well, this can be your birthday present. So crack that open and pictures of that are up on our Instagram. If, uh, for anybody who wants yes. to check that out, both uh, the statue and the poster. And so then we got to flash forward to my birthday, because if you'll remember back to last month, my birthday rolled around. And one of the things my wife got me was this one six scale Michael Jackson smooth criminal statue. And it was supposed to have like tailored cloth and one six scale is kind of like hot toys size. So we got a delivery just yesterday. And, you know, the box is kind of small and I didn't actually know what it was because inside this box was a Michael Jackson statue, but mm -hmm. it could probably sit on top of a birthday cake because it was <laughs> the size of a candle and like not even six inches, like maybe three or four inches tall. <laughs> certainly not even close to what uh what was advertised and she had actually saved screenshots of uh the listing and whatnot on uh 
whatever the website was that she had bought it from. So it, it was actually kind of funny. So uh, <laughs> th- there was like this little figurine of the, the smooth criminal Michael and like four or five other ones. But yeah, it fit in this tiny little box that you, you couldn't even fit an iPhone in type of thing. So that gives you an idea as to how small they are. So so is there an actual 1.6 coming or is is that what came? Oh, that's what came. That that oh. was the scam, man. So, yeah. Th- thank goodness for PayPal. And um, she <laughs> she had the spidey sense going because she had all the ducks in a row to make a claim. Like like I said, I'd taken screenshots of the the website, what the description was, exactly what it was supposed to be. But it's like, it, it's not even close. Like, there's no question that this is not what was supposed to come. <laughs> but it's like... Yeah, one six scale versus three inches kind of thing. Like big difference. It's uh, <laughs> one yeah. sixth of a very small man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not even a hobbit would be that small in one six scale. So <laughs> Yeah, you know what? It was like a touch disappointing because I had like a little spot and stuff ready for him and whatnot. But at the same time, it was it was so hilarious because I had no idea. Like I thought it was like maybe some makeup or something that she had bought because the box was so small. Yeah. Like, like I said, you couldn't even fit a phone in it. But uh, yeah, it, it was pretty hilarious. And like I said, thank God for PayPal coverage. So yeah, it was it was funny. And uh, certainly a, a dichotomy for what she ended up opening up for her birthday <laughs> versus the arrival of my birthday present. But that, that is good. I like that. <laughs> well, man, I, I had a very interesting week myself. It started off extremely slow. It didn't pick up anything. And yesterday, I get a knock on my door. My dog goes nuts. I go running up during work hours, poke my head out, and I just see the Canada Post guy taken off. I think, don't know what you brought. Look over, boom, sitting right there. And it's written right on the box, TMNT 90s accessory set from NECA. I let out an audible, yeah! Like, I was not (laughs) expecting it. I didn't get a shipping notification it may be buried in my email, but usually I'm tracking these things pretty closely because I'm always worried that they'll get stolen off my front porch or that I'm going to be gone and miss it or whatever. This showed up. Man, what a surprise. So cracked it open, and I got a video ready to put up on Instagram for Thursday, so you guys will be able to see this. But this accessory kit, I bought it knowing what it was but not appreciating how good it was. And as soon as I opened it up, I immediately was... I was beyond what I had anticipated it was going to be. It was way better than I thought. And I can't remember what I paid with it. 60, 70 bucks. Wasn't super cheap, but the depth and breadth it brings to this already massive figure line from NECA is so cool. Four head swaps. You get pizza boxes, mini turtles, Shredder's helmet all crushed up. You've even got like the Donnie straw hat from the mid part of the movie when they're off on the farm. It's just a really cool way to bring some details to this figure line. And they're already highly detailed figures. And I'm a crazy man. And I went and bought four more of the turtles so I could do the full head swap. So I have two sets of turtles and I have all the heads on display, all the swaps on display using the different poses that it now allows me to do with like nunchucks and all this. And I got to get just a big shout out to NECA. This is, it's kind of a cool way to, to expand this line in a meaningful way without bringing out like six, seven new figures with just the head swaps. Like, I guess technically I've already done that because I bought the figures, but I I just love what they're doing over at NECA. And I, 
I went from being late on this line to having like over a dozen figures. And I, this is, it's one of my favorite lines right now, this TMNT and Echo line. Yeah, man, you were showing me some of the pieces from that accessory pack, and it's just so cool. Like, stuff like, I, I love the part where Donnie, I think it is, asks one of the other characters if he wants a pork rind, and they give you a bag of pork yeah. rinds in there. Yeah. And like, just a the turtle little, wax bottle, and <laughs> yeah, the, the little panda bear and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah it's awesome. The nunchucks that spin. Yeah. It's just, the, and that's the kind of care and details that I always appreciate from NECA is that they're always taking these lines to the next level. Like, when was the last time we got an accessory pack for a figure line? Like, Power of the Force, Phantom Menace, maybe something like at least that I collected. And so it, it's something that I would like to see done in other figure lines like MCU or Black Series and just bring out some accessories. Because what this does too, for those that are really into figure photography and all that, it gives you all these cool little set pieces. It's really cool. And I continued with NECA. I finally, finally got out to the comic book shop. And wandering through there, I figured, I haven't been up here in like a month. I, I need to, to get some plastic here. And I stumbled across another NECA figure. And this is deepening my Back to the Future figure line. I started slowly, and I'm getting deeper and deeper. I got the Doc Brown that was just released from Back to the Future 1, the 1950s Doc Brown. Two head or a single head swap, some hand swaps in there, some great accessories. Again, this Back to the Future line wasn't something I ever expected to jump into, but NECA got me. It got me again with another figure line, <laughs> and it's it's Back to the Future. I have a love for this with my dad and all that. I'm gonna grab a couple of these when I go at East to see him this summer just to give to him because it's such a cool way to to commemorate this important series in my life, but also to to share a bit with my dad too, which is kind of cool on the figure side of things. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Like it just, I, I love those stories of you and your dad and like him getting excited about your retro collecting and going out on the hunt for you yeah. and yeah, just sharing these movies and whatnot. Like I'm totally envious of that. That's amazing. And what better line to impress him with than the NECA stuff. Yeah. Like it, it's funny too because they've done a bad figure. No, like not in this line. Like I would say like arguably if you want to get nitpicky, the Marty face on both the Marty figures isn't perfect from certain angles. It looks good, but this Doc Brown one, like this one, like I don't have it at a box yet, but this one is already a step up from that. Like the Biff Tannen one's good and human faces are difficult on figures. Like you're always mm. going to have problems unless you're into the high end collectibles. And even there sometimes they are difficult. When you get into things like the turtles, the helmeted figures and the legends, the helmeted figures and the aliens and black series, they're always superior to the human faces. They're so hard to do. You look Luke Skywalker in the black series, his head is different in every figure. <laughs> sometimes it looks like Mark Hamill, sometimes it doesn't. So it, it's kind of a balancing act, but NECA seems to have found a nice space here with these Back to the Future figures that they are doing the, the head sculpts pretty well, I will say. Like if, like I said, if you want to get nitpicky, that's where you're going to pick at. But, geez, I love these figures. I love that they're doing Ultimate Series Back to the Future. So great. And then the uh, the last thing I picked up this week was a Mando retro figure. The three and three quarter inch, low articulation. I'm not going deep into this line. I made a commitment. I said, okay, I'm not going. I'm going to get the Mando and the Baby Yoda. Found the Mando today at the local. It's a little bit over retail, but I'm like, okay, I'm cool to pay that. Support the local, the brick and mortar there. And I'm glad I have that in my collection. I have this small corner of my nerd room that is filled out by small pieces of Mando, Funko Pop here and there, the Black Series, 
some of the uh, the celebratory, like the carbonite pieces and that I have. But this was a nice addition to that. And I'm happy that I think I'm able now to control myself a bit better <laughs> in, <laughs> in these spaces, which uh, is healthy, I guess, for my Star Wars collecting. But on the other side, I can't control myself with the turtles and Back to the Future and all that. So it was quite the week in plastic for me. Much more deeper than I... I thought it was going to get because all this happened within the last probably 36 hours. <laughs> That's the way it goes sometimes, man. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Can't complain. That is for sure. So with the plastic behind us and, you know, we got some plastic in front of us here with the hot toys coming. I think it's time that we, we jump into the news before we get into this Jurassic Park discussion, which I am like almost vibrating to get to. So I'm going to, we're going to rocket through some of this new stuff here, but we can't get through this week without talking about some of this DC film stuff. These DC film reveals DC, as we've chronicled over the last, what, since DC fandom, basically. And even since the end of the Snyder cut and all that, they've really pivoted here and they're embracing a new style. At least this is my perception, a new style of production and a new style of treating the fans to a little bit more insight into the films. This has been spearheaded in some part by guys like Dwayne Johnson, who's very open and vocal with his fan base, showing everything that is going on for the most part and bringing people into the set as much as they can. And it seems that some of the other directors along the way are doing that as well. We've got our first reveal, if we can call it that, from the set of The Flash from Andy Muschietti. And it comes in the form of an Instagram post that shows the yellow oval, shout out to Pete from Straight Outta Gotham. It's got the yellow oval with a little bit of blood on it, man. Giving you a little bit of that symbolism into the Watchmen. But as the goddamn Batman, as a fan of Michael Keaton, what did this reveal? What did seeing this and this becoming a reality, dude? Like before the end of the year, we're probably gonna see a trailer with potentially michael keaton donning this suit the excitement level must be through the roof for you dude dude it was ridiculous because that thing <laughs> dropped friday morning and completely derailed my work day and it's <laughs> and it's just a stupid picture like it's just a single still picture but it's like i i had started off good on a good kind of trot through my work and because of that like i hadn't tripped across this picture myself and then my wife sends me a message, and it's that. And then all bets are off. And man, like I'd kind of heard rumblings that they're going with a Kingdom Co- Kingdom Come style suit, which made sense with like Keaton given his age and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then to see this, and it's it's the Batman Returns armor, as you can kind of tell from like the bus line and how it goes down to kind of where the ab armor starts, and obviously the Return style logo. But then, like, the shoulder pieces hint that there's something more to it with a couple of the lines up there and then that Watchmen splash of blood, which, you know, like, we keep talking about Flashpoint, but another kind of Batman Flash time travel multiverse traversing story that recently played out was The Button. And that was when they started to absorb some of the Watchmen continuity into DC proper and where things are kind of out of whack and Batman ex- excavates the comedian's button in the back cave kind of mm-hmm. thing. And that blood splat, it's pretty intentional, like just the way it falls and uh, it's positioning on the logo and whatnot. So that got me even more excited as to some of the concepts that they might be playing with. And, and why not? You know, you just had a hit 
HBO show with the Watchmen and the Watchmen's a pretty well-known movie at this point in time. So maybe a play with a bit of Dr. Manhattan machinations with the Flash movie and integrate that in, in the background, right? Or who knows? But like, man, just just like that logo and that it's like real. I, I burned through all those Danny Elfman tracks on repeat that morning. Let me tell you. So. <laughs> that is awesome dude like my excitement was more for you when i saw this but <laughs> to be honest with you it elevates my excitement for what they are doing in that flash universe and like i said at the top given that it's a flash movie and the first reveal is the yellow oval that goes to show how important that is in the storytelling i think for this film and how he is potentially going to factor in in a major way this isn't a cameo style thing this is an integral part of the story they're putting together, which which is what excites me, is that we're going to have Keaton back, we're going to have this universe, and they're fully embracing the concept of the DC multiverse in their film. So bring it on. I, oh man, let me tell you, I'm not as jacked as you, but it definitely moves the needle for me on what they're doing in this Flash movie. And to see it in active production too, I think is really important. Yeah, man, it's cool. Like, I think at most we've ever had two DC movies in production at the same time and every single time there's been two there's been a pretty big gap between when one comes out and when we mm-hmm. see the other one that's in production but they literally have like three in front of cameras right now one in the can that's coming out yeah. and an hbo series filming mm-hmm. two in the can right now like yeah. it's it's a yeah. whole new Suicide world squad like, and ba- the batman yeah <laughs> yeah wow crazy man crazy now the next big reveal this week came by accident at first, but then it was quickly nipped by David Sandberg and Zachary Levi. Zachary Levi, thank you, Carlos. <laughs> I couldn't get that out of my mouth. <laughs> but we had this this new Shazam suit. So the Shazam suit that came with the first film, I think arguably you could say it it looked fake. It looked like he was wearing hockey pads, if I can say that. It looked like he was wearing a suit that artificially inflated his muscles. Now, he's got to go toe-to-toe at some point down the road with Dwayne Johnson, who doesn't need any padding. If no. anything, he needs a little less. So the suit, I think, has to, in some capacity, once we get to that eventual meeting, the suit has to, I think, agree and juxtapose nicely against what they're doing with Black Adam. And it seems that they've gone that direction. So from the leak set, photo of shazam we got a first look at what is the new suit and i gotta say that to me the suit looks way better with a bit more of a realistic feel to it so that was released and then we got zachary levi coming out revealing the suit in the dark which i thought was a really cool way to kind of get in front of a little bit of the discussion of the set leaks so carlos shazam it is what it is and some people like it, some people love it, and some people don't. But I have to say that I think this suit is a step up from what we saw in the first Shazam movie. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Like, it kind of, it actually gave me the vibes of uh, the Cavill Superman suit from 100%. Justice League. And uh, I think that's a good thing. Like, make the suits kind of look of a piece. And with Shazam, you can do whatever you want because it's a magically uh, crafted garment. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was cool, and I liked some of the other accents. So the the bodysuit is one thing with the way it kind of fits Zachary Levi's actual body better 
while enhancing the musculature. And I like the little details, but I really like the things like the the armor plating on the gauntlets and the boots mm-hmm. from what we saw. And it, it looks like a bit more of a pro suit. And that tells me that they're putting a bit more money into Shazam. And you've got uh, a few high caliber actresses coming in to play your villains. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Fury of the Gods. And I imagine if he got a suit upgrade, then his siblings would have got a suit upgrade as well. So yeah, it it should be cool, man. It should be cool. Like I, I quite like the first Shazam, but I quite like it under the umbrella of it's something that I enjoy with my kids, but this Mm -hmm. new suit kind of got me excited for it. Maybe evolving a bit into that MCU space where it's going to have that four quadrant appeal. Yeah. I I'm right there with you on this, this suit, whether it's leaked or the on purpose reveal that was in the dark, it's got me more excited already for Shazam to fury of the gods. I I'm on the fence with Shazam. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. And unlike Nico, our good friend over in vigilante, I don't think it's better <laughs> than age of Ultron, <laughs> but this does get me excited. This new suit and what they're doing with this universe. I think Shazam, I think the first movie, although it does have the references to the greater DC universe with the Batman and all that, and then even the Superman cameo at the end, I don't think it felt to me like it was an integrated film into a wider story. Whereas I feel like just from this suit, they're heading in that direction maybe where they want Shazam to be like you said, of a piece of something bigger mm-hmm. and a part of this puzzle that is growing inside of, of DC. And like you rightly put, like it's one of the films, one of the three films in active production. So there's a lot going on there and they seem to be embracing the production scale and style of Marvel. And this isn't a Marvel DC thing, but Marvel has always got like three or four films going with two in the can. And they've always like, they're always moving. And DC seemed to be in the past a bit more start stop, but this seems to be like this. They've got this conveyor belt of films, and they've got a lineup of directors and actors that are embracing the roles in the same style that the actors and directors have in the past in the MCU, where they become flag bearers for that universe. And you get so much more, I think, out of fandom when you have an engaged production, or you have them engaged in production and engaged with the actors and actresses that are portraying those roles. Yeah. Well, and you kind of take away uh, the ability to having a, a misstep stop you dead in your tracks. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't be dominate the conversation for an entire year as to yeah. if a film succeeded or failed. Uh, you just kind of move on to the next thing. And if it's a great film that made an impact and people loved, it'll always be there and be talked about forever. And if it's not then you can at least move on to the next thing and be like, okay, well, that was just a hiccup. We get to go Mm -hmm. on to Black Adam or we get to go on to Zatanna or we get to go on to Justice League Dark. So I'm pretty stoked to be there because as the DC guy, like there was always this feeling where, shoot, this didn't go over the way they needed it to do. What happens next? How long are we going to be in the desert, right? Like I I lived through the Batman and Robin famine. And you can't always be waiting to see what you're – next movie does to make a decision about what your slate is doing in the subsequent years. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for the diversity in films that we're going to be getting from DC over the next two years. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Like it's, if one thing's not for your taste, there's mm-hmm. 
two other things that you can try out that probably will be. So they exactly. literally have something for everybody coming up, which is which is cool. And like if they're doing three to four movies a year and two HBO projects at a minimum, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And they've also got this other Super Pets, is it? They tossed it a teaser for today. Legion of the is, Super Pets. Yes. Yes, which is being spearheaded by again Dwayne Johnson making waves inside of DC has brought his good buddy Kevin Hart into the fray as well. You'd be voicing Ace. And then you've got also this great lineup of other voice actors that are going to be contributing to this project, including Kate McKinnon. We've got John Krasinski here, Keanu Reeves, Natasha Leon. Like there's a whole list of people here that are going to be contributing to this in a major way. And to be honest with you, I showed this to my daughter and she was pumped. Not only she loves pets, dogs, all this kind of stuff. And then you throw on some of that DC superhero tag. Like, come on. Oh, it's amazing. And that they use the Williams score, even more incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, good. I loved it, man. And I, and I thought it was hilarious how Johnson tagged his post of this teaser trailer with the hierarchy of power in the DC universe is about to change yeah. again. So maybe it's not just a Black Adam thing. Maybe he's saying, hey, guess what? I'm the guy now, whether you like it or not. And, yeah, his uh, production company and all that is going to be heavily involved in all this, right? Which is sweet, which is sweet. And it, the fact that he tagged this teaser with that really makes me think that there's some credence to the rumblings of him wanting to wait till the right time, till mm-hmm. a couple things rushed out and he could put his stamp on this thing. And, and I think it'll be awesome. Like, I, he has a great relationship with Jason Momoa, the, the you know, Aquaman is sending his daughter birthday greetings. So clearly they get along and he's hired Gal Gadot for, well, they started in the fast franchise together and then they have an upcoming movie that his production house is doing. So they're cool, man. It's awesome. Like if he's the cog that everything spins around, so be it, bring it on. Amazing. Well, look at this, this big pivot that we've been talking about now post Saxon's justice league involves him in a major way and you pointed this out several times right that there's there seemed to be something because as soon as that film was out and you you got the aftermath from that the dust had settled a little bit boom he comes and all this stuff like look at the the shift in discussion from two years ago to now like there's a seismic shift in the perception of what dc film is doing And yes, we've had overturn of management and we've had films come out and we've had some things resolved and all that. But you also have to look like there's been creatives that have come on board that are, I think, making a major impact in how DC film is run. And also, I think, how it's perceived by a wider audience. 100%, man. Like, we're not talking about things that woulda, coulda, shoulda been as much anymore. Like, you'll, you'll always have a group that hangs on to certain things and that's cool. But the, the louder conversation is finally, look at all these cool things coming down the Mm. pipe and you have silos of people that are like celebrating everything, but I'm the most interested in the Batman and other people are totally focused on black Adam and other people are going bananas for Zatanna. Like it's a cool time to be a DC fan. Like, it's just like, this is, this is where my, my Marvel side has been enjoying for years and years, but I always wanted this for, for the home team. So well, we've we've arrived, dude. Like we're here. Like we're in a space now. You know, come what is it? August when the Suicide Squad comes out. Yeah. 
and then quickly after that you got dc fandom and then you're into 2022 and then look out it's gonna be full on you know two to three movies a year lots of active production and lots of great positive discussion and i i honestly can't wait i'm very very excited for it i'm worried because i don't know what my daughter's gonna do with all this stuff and (laughs) i'm also i'm also worried for you and troy because McFarlane doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. No. And if any of these movies land in a major way for you, there's there's going to be some serious plastic coming into the Batcave. Oh, it's funny that you that you bring up Troy's name because he sent me pictures because he not only got the super sweet John Stewart figure that they just released and taught into the wilds in Canada and he got his hands on one, but he had already customed him with this incredible <laughs> Idris <he> Elba head. <laughs> And then he, it, so he sends me a couple pictures and then he's like, dude, I think I got to break away from my initial idea of just doing the Scott Snyder Justice League and I got to go full multiverse. And I was like, man, you're already at that infinite frontier for <laughs> for these DC collectibles. So just embrace it. Embrace it. At least the McFarlane's are cheap, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're cheap, but they're plentiful, which is good, which is good. I think. We've, we're finally hitting a stride when it comes to all sorts of action figures and all that, and everything that is coming in the plastic space is we're kind of getting over this hump of distribution, and I think embracing the beyond, like we've all done, where we're pulling from so many different lines, we've always got something to hunt, which is very, very exciting. And now, before we get to some drastic talk, I just quickly got to touch on Ghostbusters. Today, as we record Tuesday, is Ghostbusters Day, so happy ghostbusters day to everyone out there that is listening you can go back and actually check out our review of ghostbusters the first film in episode number 217 if you are interested in hearing some ghostbusters talk from us but we've got some reveals today some toys some hasbro toys some of the mini the mini puffs as they're calling them some reveals there but i had to say it seemed like a bit of a missed opportunity to not have a ghostbusters afterlife trailer with a film that's coming out in november and we haven't got a full-length trailer for like a year. We had a teaser a few weeks ago. But I, I got to say, I really, I would even had it in the notes, like pre-prepped it in the notes that we're going to talk about the Afterlife trailer. We didn't get one, man. Does that surprise you? Oh, it shocked me. Because like it was the studio themselves that spearheaded yeah. the promotion of a Ghostbusters day. So it just made sense. Just made total sense. Like when the Super Pets trailer dropped, I was like, Oh, I guess they're catching some of that heat for those people that are camped out waiting for the Afterlife trailer. So, you know, get that out in the morning and then everybody does the Ghostbusters thing in the afternoon. And yeah, we didn't get anything. Like even that they didn't take the first trailer and just recut it and maybe add a few scenes. Mm-hmm. And like I imp- I appreciate the discipline to hold back and not reveal too much, but we're getting so close to the actual film coming out or even something like a new movie poster. Yeah. Like that there was nothing for afterlife uh, outside of kind of toys and whatnot, which is cool. uh, Was surprising to me. I like, like you said, I was a hundred percent convinced that we were getting a trailer today, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, didn't happen, which is weird. It is weird. It is what it is, but I will say the best part about Ghostbusters day was all the fan stuff. The, fan art the i gotta give a shout out to yes have some podcast great guys i watch their youtube stuff lots of toy retro toy collecting and all that but they put out a a remake of a kenner ghostbusters commercial toy commercial with them playing with the toys it is absolutely fantastic and there's some brilliant art out there 
There's lots of stuff going on with the various Ghostbuster clubs. Even in Alberta here, there's a Ghostbuster club. So big shout out to all the, the Ghostbusters and the Ghostbuster fandom. It is, it's such a cool and embracing and an inclusive fandom. They just love all of it. And it's, it's something that I've kind of got into a bit more as the pandemic waited on and I got back into the retro collecting and my appreciation for Ghostbusters going back and revisiting things with you guys and seeing these different fandoms interacting across these celebratory days. It's, it was a blast. I had more fun with that than everything. Like, yeah, a little disappointing to get to see afterlife, but hell, we're going to see the movie in November. It was cool that they were able to bring together such a, such a, a positive fan base over and throughout this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. Ghostbusters has always been that kind of accessible thing, right? Because yeah. it, was, it was that Halloween costume that anybody could make. Just yeah. you, you got the <laughs> stuff and you just need some cardboard, worst case. Exactly. <laughs> Man, I had my, I remember when I was young, when I was Ghostbusters a few times, I had, I remember my dad's old, I thought it was, it was, I thought it was a PK emitter, but it was just basically the thing you test an electro current with. I had a little monitor on it. Yeah. I carried that around for years thinking it was uh, me trying to find uh, some, some ghosts and all that. Ah, it, it's such a, such a cool fandom. And I love being just even a small piece of it now, just doing a little, little collecting and, and getting myself involved in a few other things out here. So yeah, go check out some of the fan stuff from Ghostbusters today, if nothing else, but Carlos, man, we got to get to our final topic for this week. And it's a topic I am, I've been excited for, like I said, I've been vibrating about, it. I've been wanting to talk about Jurassic Park for so long and we've put out in the past a, a retrospective discussion that we I thought we were going to get to do for The Lost World. We never quite got there on the votes, but that's okay. This gives us the opportunity for you and I to break down Jurassic Park. The Jurassic Park series, I would say, uh, one, two, and three. And we're just going to do a retrospective look back, not a review, not a detailed breakdown of the films. We're just going to talk about and really celebrate it because it is Jurassic June. I love this concept of celebrating films celebrating these iconic franchises whether it's ghostbusters day whether it's may the 4th and now jurassic june which is a whole freaking month and throughout this month not only we're we doing this retrospective discussion today but i've got a collection video it is done it's in the can it's coming out this friday on our youtube page you'll be able to see about a seven eight minute video of my jurassic park collection and i've got an interview that i'm about half done editing it'll be coming out later in the month so we've got lots of stuff here guys and maybe we'll even be talking about the follow-up to Jurassic World series in a couple episodes as we potentially may or may not get a Dominion trailer, a Dominion trailer, a Jurassic World Dominion, which is the third installment of the Jurassic World series, which will be dropping in exactly one year's time as this episode drops this Thursday, coming out June 10th, 2022, a next installment in the Jurassic franchise. But that is all in the future. We're looking back 28 years ago. Is where we're going to start here. June 11th, 1993. Steven Spielberg, one would call, I would call, the greatest director of all time, drops the dinosaur epic Jurassic Park based off of Michael Crichton's book that came out in the late 80s there. This came out into theaters to not only great success, but to humongous audience excitement. It was one of the most anticipated films of 1993. And it was a game changer, not only in the iconic film space, but in the technological, in the merchandising, in the toys. Dinosaur toys have been around forever. But for me, this changed everything. It was my toy line. Some people had Star Wars. Some people had Masters of the Universe, Ghostbusters, whatever. I partake in a lot of that. 
but this was it for me. This was my movie as a child. This was my toy line as a child. This movie has influenced so much for me. And not only did it influence my life so much, it influenced a lot of things. Look at the box office. It debuted to $47 million, which was really big in 93, not comparatively to what we're seeing now in the $100 million, $200 million mark, but it did go on to become the biggest film of all time in 93 up until 1997's Titanic. It has accumulated almost a billion dollars at the global box office with some subsequent re-releases. I think it did around 800 million in its first run. Groundbreaking technology, like I said, with the animatronics and the melding of digital dinosaurs, which today, guys, I don't care what you say, today, that movie, you cannot tell what is animatronic and what is digital. It's incredible in 93 what they're able to pull off. This also launched what would be considered one of the biggest global franchises of all time, spanning almost three decades, five films, six if you include the one next year, TV show, merchandising, and of course, the toys, the toys. We're going to talk about the toys here in a few minutes. And Carl's going to have to shut me up here because if not, I'm just going to go on for the rest of the night. <laughs> but man, let, let's talk about your Jurassic experience. Well, it's funny because like I was a dinosaur nut as a kid, like to the point that there was a time that my teachers yarded my parents in and said like, this guy needs to stop with comic books and dinosaurs because <laughs> he's going to have a one track mind kind of thing. And <laughs> lo and behold, like suck it, Mrs. Bloy. Cause uh, here I am. And uh, <laughs> it didn't do me any harm. So yeah, like dinosaurs were always huge for me. And then in the lead up to this movie, I had seen the teaser trailers and they kind of like did the, the fern shaking and like the raptor's eye through mm -hmm. the grates and stuff like that. And because I had sucked up so many straight to video VHS, like blockbuster finds as far as dinosaur content goes, I just kind of resigned myself to this being, you'll catch glimpses, glimpses of a couple puppets here and there, and there'll be some stop motiony type stuff. And, and I'm like a little kid at the time. Right. So it's like, yeah, it'll be cool. But based on that teaser trailer, because that was all that I had seen, um, that's what I was expecting. And so I wasn't like an opening night type kid or anything like that. But I remember going to my uncle's house and I talked to my cousin's boyfriend who had seen it. And like, of course, you hear about the release and how huge it is and people are going nuts and it's hard to get into. So I was like, oh, is the hype real? And he's like, dude, he's like, you have no idea. He's like, you have no idea how good the special effects are. And I can't remember if I said this on the show or if it was a post-record thing, but I, I used Terminator 2 as a point of reference. And I said, is it as cool as Terminator 2? And I remember this dude, Brian, he says to me, he's like, Terminator 2 is cool, but you watch that and you know that a computer made that effect. You know that it's not real. He's like, you watch this movie and he's like, you cannot tell that the dinosaurs do not exist in the real world. And... Mm -hmm. I remember being like, shoot, I got to get to this thing tomorrow. And I remember jumping on the number 54 bus, like Sunday morning, just kind of quasi telling my parents that I'm going to be gone for the day. And it wasn't really something that like, I only took the bus to school and home ever at the time. And I remember being absolutely astounded when that Brachiosaurus like hits, mm -hmm. hits the screen and just blown away and, Oh, it was it was just magical seeing that, and not even so much the Brack, but when Doctor Grant looks across 
the yes. park and he sees the hadrosaurs coming out of the water and a couple more bracks like i was just like holy smokes like i i was like dr malcolm like i was like he did it that crazy spielberg <laughs> did it like <laughs> uh, well oh. it, 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 it goes to show too i, I don't want to cut you off here i want to let you get back into some of this but the first dino reveal was in the middle of the day yeah like that is bold like you can hide a lot and star wars did it a lot of special effects companies did it at this time because they weren't what they are today they can hide things in the dark you can hide things behind trees or whatever right you can hide the the flaws this you're seeing this brachiosaurus broad daylight is to me that is wild wild mm-hmm. that that is done that way oh absolutely there, and there's so many things that he just didn't shortcut like that in 1993 he took it upon himself to do it's like i want to do this gallimimus stampede like really like <laughs> you see that in a script and you're like yeah we can't do that but no not steven spielberg he's like we're gonna make this happen which is incredible, and it still looks great to this day. Mm-hmm. It, it's and you get the T Rex in broad daylight there too. Yes, like reappearing out of out of the like it, it's the dinosaurs in this are are something that I'll never forget as a kid seeing for the first time. Like I didn't see this in theaters; I was a bit young. I did see it on VHS, so I don't know if it was late '93 when that came out when the VHS did or by Christmas time. But I had the figures; I had the dinosaurs like as it came out, and. I remember seeing those dinosaurs for the first time. And like you, I was, I was a dino kid for like, I had the definitely dinosaurs. I had every version of like museum dinosaurs, the the hard rubber ones, whatever was out there. I had like it, it was all consuming for me. And then this stuff comes out and the figures and the dinos are crazy good. And, but seeing them on the screen still to this day, I'm blown away by, by those scenes. Definitely. Like there's very few things that don't cut the mustard. Like very few. You could, yeah. there's more, like I'd probably say maybe like 10, 15% of the effects mm-hmm. in that movie show their age and the rest of it is, it's flawless. Yeah. The idea that they're able to translate this so well, I think is what makes it this iconic film. If this isn't done in this capacity with this combination and this hybrid model of animatronics and digital, it doesn't land the same way. It doesn't have the legs. It doesn't have, we're not sitting here talking about this film 28 years later and how big of an impact it's had not only in the industry but as of us personally me and me specifically i chose my career based fairly much off of this this movie oh yeah man well and it's it's a testament to keeping the heart of something but making an adaptation that is palpable to a wide Mm -hmm. audience because like it, it wasn't for like decades later, I read the books kind of thing. And I remember being a bit taken aback as to how different they were. In fact, like that first movie has very little of the book in it, Mm -hmm. but uh, what an astute move to just kind of take those fundamental pieces and then build a movie that a four quadrant audience can enjoy around it. And people are none the wiser because it did such a good job uh, crafting their tale. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is a discussion we want to have down the road that you had brought up in the DMs earlier was a, the idea and concept behind adapting something and how close you have to stay to the source material. Because in some capacity, a comic book is a comic book and it's a medium for consumption, but it doesn't always translate onto a screen as well when you have two hours or so. And I think a book is the same way. Like I've read the book several times. I've listened to the book 
And yeah, it's very, very different, but they've taken the key elements, which is we can create dinosaurs from mosquito DNA. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what you read, and that's what intrigues Spielberg. Like this seems like a viable way that we could recreate dinosaurs. Now the science behind it maybe is you know a bit inflated, but that's okay. It's a movie. It's a fantasy. Uh, man, but I trust Elon. Elon's gonna get it done. He's gonna like. I, I'm happy. Like I'll 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 be on the boat, man. I've seen this play like in five movies. <laughs> I'll be on the boat. <laughs> take me to that island off of Costa Rica. I'm there. Yeah, I'll take the risk. <laughs> but. The, the, the thing that this movie did, too, is that it, it spawned this this franchise, whether it was video games, the books, trading cards, action figures. They had everything. And I was so obsessed with everything. I committed my first crime Ooh. based off of Jurassic Park. Oh. And I ran this by my wife. I said, can I tell this on the on the podcast? It involves a, a little underhanded thievery. And I feel bad for it, but I still do have the evidence right next to me here actually <laughs> when i was young a younger man a much younger man not knowing consequences and that i i used to check out the jurassic park young readers adaptation from my elementary school on a weekly basis to the point where they told me you can't take this you got to take something else but the last time i took it i may or may not have taken the glossy photos you know how in a young readers they usually have the book and it's written for for younger people, but in the middle they have like pictures from the actual film. Oh yes, I, I may or may not have pulled those pictures out and kept them for myself and have them, you know, give or take twenty seven, twenty six years later, <laughs> still in a bin next to me. I, I would judge you, but I I think there's a hardcover Fantastic Four book at my parents' house somewhere that had a similar <laughs> origin. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't think that school exists anymore. And it's okay. If, if they want it back, I still got it. So yeah. <laughs> you can have it back. But it just goes to show how how enthralled it was. And this was like the first franchise that that I latched onto. Kind of similar in the, the vein that you have for Robocop where it became like you felt some ownership over it and it became so tied to it in, in such a deep way that that you couldn't you couldn't think about anything else for for years and I, I remember getting toys like specific moments i remember getting the command compound i remember getting the lost world which we're going to talk about here i remember getting the big trailer i remember getting the jungle cruiser opening at my nana papa's place and so like i have these memories seared into my head that are so closely associated with with this film and it, it's just such an important experience that i had even going down to florida universal studios when i was in my early teens and walking through the gates of Jurassic Park at Universal Studios. I remember that moment. I remember turning to my cousin saying, all right, I've done it. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter what happens from here on it. I've done this. I've walked through the gates of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Amazing. It's something that I could talk about literally for hours, just this one film. But we also got, we got to look at the, the follow-up here. The Lost World Jurassic Park comes out in 1997. This is the direct sequel to, to this, directed by Steven Spielberg, based off a book that was written specifically for this film. This book comes out in 1995 from Michael Crichton. And we we follow a new cast into the Lost World with Jeff Goldblum returning into the role of Ian Malcolm, taking the lead on this. And we go and visit a new island. This is what struck me. This is what intrigued me about this. We're going to do a new dinosaurs, new concept, no fences this time. And I remember the trailer for this one. And it was when we got to see the Stegosauruses for the first time got the stegosaurus action figure dinosaur from the first one but they never appeared in the film 
this is a big dinosaur when I was a kid, like the big plated thing. It looked really cool. The fact we got to see it in the trailer, I was blown away. And now this film, you know, even my excitement and all that here that you can hear, I feel like it's 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 tangible, it's palpable. But this film doesn't come out to the same sort of universal praise that the original 93 film got. It comes out to mixed reviews. It does do phenomenal at the box office, coming in second only behind the Titanic in 1997. But it just doesn't do as well. It doesn't hit as well. And it's always struck me as to why it didn't. Because you look back at this film, I personally think it's phenomenal. I have major goggles on. But you have things like two T-Rexes. You've got the Stegosauruses. You've got the Game Trail Stampede. You've got Raptors. There's so much in here. And then you get the interaction of humans and a t-rex at the end of the film this to me hits all of those avenues that you wanted from the original that it just didn't have the time to do so cross i know i know you love this film it's my favorite in the franchise wow okay why is it your favorite and and why don't you think maybe it lands in the same way that some of the other films did with the, within the Jurassic Park franchise. Oh man, I I've been wondering that same thing my whole life because I remember going and seeing a couple negative reviews before we went, and it was like a small group of buddies went, and there was one or two guys, and the guy who drove me didn't like it, and I was just like, it was all I could do to not get out of the car and just walk home because I was, <laughs> I, I was so flabbergasted that he didn't love the Lost World because. This was this was what I had hoped for. Like I saw that first Jurassic Park movie, and I was like, "This is amazing." I, I would love to even watch just a documentary made by these people and just see these mm-hmm. dinosaurs doing their thing. Like, I, I'd be happy for days watching that kind of thing. And so to go to the Lost World, and man, it's like the lightsaber fight in the Phantom Menace. Say what you want, you can never take that away from that movie. That uh, safari. At the beginning of the Lost yes. World, it man, that is incredible. Just the effects work and the variety of dinosaurs that you see, and some of the cool stuff they do with the humans trying to negotiate their way around the animals. Amazing. And like I quote that movie all the time. Probably unprofessional, but like on a regular basis, <laughs> I say to somebody at work, like that's the worst idea in a long sad history of bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and my entire family will yell don't go into the long grass whenever we're near (laughs) all the time i always do that too don't go into the long grass don't go into the long grass (laughs) yeah like it just it's awesome and like that raptor attack is amazing like what's there not to love i i do think a bit of it was people didn't dig the san diego part at the end of the movie which I kind of get, but at the same time, it's it's fun and it's just a different way of capping the movie. And quite frankly, I thought that that felt maybe not more natural. It was it, it kind of landed better and seemed woven into the narrative a bit more clean than the Deus Ex Machina T Rex at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. I I kind of liked it. I liked how they had the baby as the thread through the whole thing to yeah. tie it all together. It, yeah, it was fine. I don't, I don't know what happened. I think people just grew up between the first and second movie and became cynical. And that's it too. Like to be honest with you, this is a franchise where 
you do revisit similar concepts, but it's not like you can go back and continue the story from Jurassic Park, right? Like, and they do technically in Jurassic World, I guess, but you have to move on from that. And to me, these are the next logical steps. No fences. You got people going, trying to get the dinosaurs. And then, like you said, ending it in San Diego, like this is the next step we want to see. Like what happens if you let a T-Rex loose in a major city? Like to me, that those are logical next steps in the storytelling. What are the things you need to explore? Well, let's take the dinosaur off the island and put it somewhere where it shouldn't be. You know, it's the dinosaurs are chasing seven people in the first movie, but let's put it in a city. Like I always love that piece of it because it bridged the gap between the far off island that had the dinosaurs, like the lost world, and the real world. And I always thought that was a brilliant piece of filmmaking because, like I said, it bridged that gap that we were all thinking about at the time. And like you said, the start with this, that was amazing. That I remember seeing that blowing my brain apart and being like, what is happening? And all these new dinosaurs. That was the other thing this movie did really well. It introduced mm-hmm. you a whole new subset of dinosaurs. It didn't go back to the same well where we're seeing just a few dinosaurs. Like we saw all kinds. And yes, the main big bads do become the T-Rex and the Raptors. And that becomes a familiar theme throughout this original series but they're also super exciting. And the fact that we get two big T-Rexes in this one and a whole pack of Raptors coming in, like that long grass scene where they're all, you can see them all coming towards the guy. Come on. Yeah, it's wicked. And just the set pieces, there's not even set pieces. It's just like a, a series of these amazing interactions between the humans and the dinosaurs. Because you go from the safari then you have like the night camp scene. Then you have the compy attack. This, oh yeah, the stegosaurus to open the whole thing off yeah. with those guys. And then the one of the most underrated scenes in the entire franchise: the two T Rexes with the trailer going oh. over the side of the cliff. Yes, like that's an extremely impressive scene. And then you have the camp attack after that. And yeah, like uh, honestly, like what is there not to like with that movie? Well, no, have... that's it. it. It's it's the first movie I saw twice in theaters. I was old enough to go on my own, and I was I said I, I'm going to see this again. I, I remember going once with my dad, and then once with my buddies. And there, there's a part in there with the the raptor attack that you get a big jump, and I remember we had our feet up on the the front of the seats in this old cinema, and we're all of us pushing it, and like I'd even seen it. And so, like, if, if I were to, to throw criticism at the movie, the part that the parts I like the least is the Malcolm Daughter stuff. I find it, it, I understand what they're doing and the idea of having a kid in there. And, like, that's one of the things I really loved about Jurassic Park is a kid named Tim in mm-hmm. there as well. And you have to have that connection piece. And I, I can't wait to show it to my daughter because it's the kids. Even, like, I have the, the, the Kelly figure that came with the, the big trailer action figure set and that's the figure she goes to that's the figure she plays with when she's playing with the dinosaurs like she wants that and so i understand that more and more now having kids especially a daughter where there needs to be a connection point but that's the only place like as an adult watching it and as an older teen watching it that was only stuff i was like and when she's doing the flips and kicks the raptor but like hell come on it's as much a small piece of the film when you have, like you said, all these other iconic moments in it. And iconic moments beyond what the first one did. Yeah. Right? It wasn't like repeating stuff. It was escalating everything. Totally. Yeah, I remember the, a bit of criticism around the Kelly character and whatnot. 
and I just chalked it up to people being kind of small minded because of the interracial family dynamic with Dr. Mm. Malcolm. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like maybe in retrospect, you take Julianne oh. Moore's character and you maybe make her African-American and do something else or actually have Kelly's mom bring her to mm-hmm. the garage there or something like that to help people reconcile that in their minds before the rest of it plays out. But yeah, she was she was fine to me. Like I, I, I like the scene with her in the high hide and yeah. some of her yeah. interactions with her dad and, and whatnot and even just some of their negotiating their awkward relationship with each other where he had been kind of the empowering but absentee parent and then it all getting used against him in this high mm-hmm. stress, high danger situation. So yeah, she was good. Like the, the gymnastics thing was, was whatever, but yeah, it never, I, I don't know. I don't know. It is maybe, what it is. It, maybe I'm just in the can for this thing, but I, I love, I love it all. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Like the relationship, the father daughter relationship, it's played out in both ends, right? In the humans. And then you also see it with how protective the T-Rexes are of the baby. And so you have, you have kind of this nice parallel story. Like if you want to break it down in the, in a review sense, I, I kind of see a nice parallel they're going for. And, you know, Malcolm being somewhat absentee. And then you got these T-Rexes that will literally do anything for their baby. And so I, I kind of like that aspect of it. And in Malcolm, let's, let's talk about Malcolm here. Was was he the right choice to come back and lead this? Because you had you had a pretty great cast, Sam Neill, Laura Dern from the first film. They're the logical people to come back because they're the paleontologists. Malcolm being the the chaotician, the the guy that didn't really believe in this all. Was Jeff Goldblum was Malcolm the right character to bring back for the Lost World to lead the franchise? Oh man, how many years are we from when the Lost World came out? I, I still quote the guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis. So I, I might be the wrong person to ask if he was the right choice, but yeah, I think I think it makes sense, especially when you have the other characters in there that kind of fill some of those holes. And like when it's revealed what Hammond's actual intent was with mm-hmm. bringing uh, Nick onto the scene and Sarah being your your new kind of amalgamation of Doctor Grant and Doctor Sattler, and now stepping away from kind of the paleontological sense of these things and looking at it from a zoological lens. Yeah. And it made sense for him to be that fish out of water Yeah, and the connection to the, the first movie. So yeah, cause he had no business being there um, outside of his just experience on the Island in the first one. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I dug him. Yeah. The whole cast there is, is really great. And the, yeah, it plays Eddie Carr. Fire up base camp. There's a fire up base camp. Like, it, it's a very quotable movie, actually. Yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, you and I, man, I, I'm right there with you. I, I love the Lost World. I loved it as a mid teenager. I think I was, I was 13, 14, or something like that when this came out. I'm still collecting the action figures. I remember my parents when they gave me the the trailer. They said, "Look, Tim," I said, "I know you're getting a little old for toys and stuff like that. You can take this back if you want." And I said, absolutely not. Like, get out of here. I'm opening this up and I'm going straight to my room and digging out the dinosaurs and I'm having a session here. So just leave me alone. I'm good. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember like, because obviously at that age, you're of limited means, right? And I was still into the Batman stuff. Well, as heavy as anything. So that was like the focus. So it was just like, if it... It's not Batman. I can't spend money on it. But I remember lusting after a T-Rex, like those kind of rubbery skin ones. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? And they were just expensive enough that um, I'd have to give up a lot of Batman figures to grab myself a T-Rex. <laughs> but it, that was one of the few things that tempted me. Man, you should have bought them and kept them because let me tell you, they are expensive now. <laughs> tell you from a direct experience of purchasing some of them later in life. And yeah, like with those with those dinos and especially the Lost World stuff, like it expanded the line so much. You got so many different action figures. You got bigger T-Rexes and it was all about that rubbery skin. It was like they, they called them, it's called a roto mold actually where, you know, they don't use like an injection. They use like a, like a cast and they spin, they inject like a liquid and they spin it in a in a kiln in a furnace and it creates kind of just like a skin mold and then they slip it over really cool process that but is like cool. that's what s- separates the Jurassic Park dinosaurs from a lot of the other older dinosaurs which are very hard and like they're not movable these things were like these real skin soft to make you give you that appearance and also the feel that these were like actual dinosaurs from the film very cool. Very cool. And now coming out in 2001 to cap off the Jurassic Park trilogy, we're still very much in the idea of a trilogy is what you get from a film universe. You very rarely were going beyond the trilogy at this point. Now that is completely out the window, but Jurassic Park 3 comes out in 2001. We It is the follow-up to, to, of course, Jurassic Park and the Lost World. It sees Sam Neill coming back into the role of Alan Grant, going back to Site B, which would be the island that that all the events of The Lost World took place on. And this movie in itself didn't do as well at the box office and very mixed reviews. This is the first film that isn't based off of a book by Michael Crichton. It's the first film that isn't directed by Steven Spielberg. It is produced by him. This one is directed by Joe Johnson. You know, he directed Captain America, the first Avengers, the Rocketeer. So he's got a great filmography behind him when he's coming into this. But this one, I will say, this one felt more so like it was it was shot on a back lot. This didn't seem to have the same on-set feel that Jurassic Park and the Lost World. Those, those were filmed out in Hawaii, California locations. This felt like it was filmed backstage. But it did introduce us to a new big bad in the Spinosaurus, which was awesome. Introduced us to a new concept of the evolving dinosaurs, integrating more of the feather and the kind of communication, the intelligence of the raptor. We finally get to see pterodons, big bird-looking things that we hadn't seen before in a Jurassic Park film. So they continued the idea of escalating the dinosaurs. But I think arguably the characters in this film are the weakest in these first three films. So Jurassic Park 3, man, 2001, coming out four years after. It is probably the weakest of it, but I recently rewatched this maybe six months ago. I still really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's stuff to love, like the raptor bits with um, seeing them operate in kind of like the in their little prides and their families. And that was pretty cool. And seeing the unique Raptors uh, within the group was, was awesome. This one. Yeah. You could definitely tell that it was filmed on a soundstage. In fact, it was Mm -hmm. filmed on the Warner brothers back lot. (laughs) I've Mm -hmm. I've been to the stage and they talk about doing some of the flooding stuff for the, the riverboat scenes. 
But uh, I, I got to tell you, one of my strongest memories of this movie, like I, I've always loved going to the theater and soaking up movies, and I would go watch anything back then, like rom-coms, you name it. I just loved going to the theater. But Jurassic Park 3, like I had some hype, and I remember I didn't get to go see it right away, uh, just kind of being busy or whatever. So it took a week or two, finally get to the theater, sit down with my girlfriend, and then there's like people playing on like the their phones like the old precursor Motorola phones cuz they were new so you had to play with the stupid things and then a couple brought a baby to the movie what and i was like this is terrible right and then the that the movie didn't live up to the first two kind of thing was frustrating as well but um yeah kind of had a sour taste in my mouth but i too revisited it a couple times and and it grew on me a bit like i Came to appreciate the Spinosaurus, like I said, the raptor stuff, but the aviary scene, man, that's legit horrifying. Yeah, that is. entire <laughs> scene and the pteranodons, like they are maybe the scariest dinosaurs <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Like just the look of them and like how their bird poop was all over the place in the aviary was, yeah, it was unsettling. And uh, having watched it again after reading the books, it was neat to see some of the things that they had played with in yeah. the original book come to life in Jurassic Park 3. So, yeah, it doesn't live up to its predecessors, but, uh, hey, man, dinosaurs. That's all that That's it, have. man. <laughs> you're going in there, you're looking for something different and beyond what we've seen before. It delivers on that, that's for sure. Now, when you're talking about theater experiences, it, the one of the reasons I, I continue to love this film is that I went and saw this with my dad, and it was a, a back-to-back we did. We went to the big cinema. There's about 45, 50 minutes away from our house, and we saw Jurassic Park 3 and Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes remake. Nice. That, that was our double feature. In between, we went and got dinner. It was awesome. It was such an experience. And those are two franchises that my dad and I have grown up loving together, Jurassic Park as well as Planet of the Apes, the originals, and going and see a remake of it was just an experience. And so a lot of my love for this film – ties directly into the experience I had watching it for the first time. So it, it comes down to, I think ultimately when it, when you're looking at this franchise as a whole is, is yeah, there's, there's parts of it that, that maybe don't land in the same way, especially with this third film. But like you said, dinosaurs, like that's what we're here for. And you know, you can chalk up, this probably commits the biggest sin in this whole entire franchise. When you have the Raptor talking on the airplane, <laughs> oh. the, that, Alan, that was very <laughs> Alan. well done. Alan, <laughs> so funny and and I to be honest with you, Willie H Macy and Tia Leone do great on you, but I think they're supposed to in the yes. film. Like you get you grow very tired of those characters a little later on the film, and that ring man, that ring of that phone, is still in my head to this day. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it made it plausible as to why the kid Eric was like, ah, I could go back home and live with my parents, or I could stay on this island. Yeah, where I'll have more <laughs> peace. <laughs> yeah, collect dinosaur pee. And, uh, yeah, that and you know you could argue, is it believable that a kid survived there? Sure, why not? You know, resourceful kid. And again, it 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 is another avenue to, to bring younger generations into this film universe like you go to 93 kids that saw the original Jurassic Park are you know almost 10 years older than they were right though if they were five you know you're into your mid to late teens by the time this is coming out and so 
you gotta remember you gotta reconnect a, a younger generation to this franchise that you know is a decade old and when you look back at franchises at this point like the batman franchise had worn out by this point right and franchise didn't have the longevity i don't think that they did when or that they do now we're we're always talking about marvel or dc or what's coming next you know what i mean it seemed that franchises did wane a bit and even star wars went through a period of that where you get to the end of return of the jedi it wanes for a bit you get to the end of revenge of the sith in 2005 it wanes and so these franchises didn't have that that perpetual cycle of there's something coming and this is kind of the end of it and then we don't get a movie until 2015 in this franchise that to me is absolutely wild i'm thankful for it because i wouldn't want to see this franchise wear out but by the time we get to 2015 i'm, I'm stoked to see more jurassic yeah it came out of nowhere jurassic world and there was a ton of skepticism with it because it's just like yeah. ah, as if this will be good and there was stuff with uh i think it was uh owen with the raptors on the motorcycle and mm -hmm. people were pretty cynical about that and it's just like oh this is going to be dumb and yeah I, I think we're going to get into it in a subsequent show but yes, uh are. yeah uh, it's spoilers i loved it but <laughs> yeah me too man i'm right there with you but it's crazy to see that we go you know, 14 years in between franchises. And the same thing goes for things like the Batman and stuff like that. Or when you get to Batman and Robin, you have this big, huge gap before you get to the Nolan universe. And it's crazy to see that franchises, like a franchise like this, like this IP will never be shelved ever again. No, no. And I think because there's just more of it. And like, as you kind of verbalized franchises burning out, I had this thought process of it's like, maybe because we were so laser focused on everything that came out that we liked at the time mm -hmm. that as soon as there was a misstep, it was scorched earth, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Batman was the biggest thing and we absorbed and consumed like Batman and Batman returns and forever was huge. And then Batman and Robin comes out and it's like, you know, like George Clooney's casting was fine. Chris O'Donnell's was great. Costumes were cool. But it was just there was that misstep, and it's like, nope, we want nothing else from this. Burn it down, yeah. and yeah, there, there was no no room for any kind of grace with uh, with these things because even Spider Man, like yeah. Spider Man, Burn it down, yeah, biggest Trilogy, thing in the world. Eh, didn't like it. Yeah, blow you later. it up, blow it up. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up, what has turned out to be you and me just gushing over Jurassic Park for. 40 minutes i gotta ask you a few questions here the jurassic park logo is it and i asked this on twitter the other day is it the most iconic logo or one of the i think we can qualify it as one of the but when you look at this thing is it the most iconic logo of all time or does that reside still with you in batman and superman we'll say we'll say in the film space in the film space in the film space it's an easy four and there's no four that'll there's nothing that'll shake the four, like not even the Avengers A or anything like that. Mm. It's um, the Star Wars logo, just like the yep. words. Jurassic Park is right there as number two. The Batman 89, the yellow oval, and the Ghostbusters logo. Those mm. are kind yep. of the four that I think are indelible and persist forever. Like, And especially because all four of those have been adopted to new franchises as well yeah. anyways right so 
yeah, I think I think those are those are the ones. Like it's right there. Like mm-hmm. toss a coin as to which of those four is number one. But yeah, those are those are it. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm right there with you. It's it's something that's always caught my eye. Whether it's the the red and yellow black, like it, there's something about it that that has always just drawn me to it. I see it anywhere. I have to walk over and see what it's what type of merchandise is on and do I need this or do I not need this? Oh man, the the proof is in the pudding that they started a new franchise and they just changed the word park to world, but all yeah. the rest of it is the exact same. Yeah, tweak the colors a little bit and like <laughs> you can go back and maybe that's where three falls apart because it, it did adopt a slightly different. They put the Spinosaurus yes. into the logo, so it changed it a little bit and that maybe separates a little you go away from like like you said one of the most iconic like you know, I, i'm right there with you top top four like the ones you said there's nothing else i would put in there but you move away from that that identity that marker that icon and does that change the feel of the movie a little bit oh yeah maybe totally well the, i remember there being resentment towards the spinosaurus just because it mm-hmm. won the fight with the T-Rex. I was I was I was upset. Visually upset the first time I saw it. I was like, it broke his neck. Oh my god, it's dead forever. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that so snout upset. and the bones, yeah. it would never be able to do that. No. Allegedly. <laughs> and it lived in the water all the time. But it doesn't matter. Oh man. Last question here. Is this and we're not ranking this or anything like that, but does this rank amongst because we talked about this last week when we're talking about like the idea of iconic films does this rank among the top iconic films of all time we're talking about jurassic park one say oh yeah like definitely it's in that conversation with like i think star wars has got to always be number one Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's it's right there like there's very few other things that i would rank yeah, I think it's Star Wars and Jurassic mm-hmm. Park are kind of like one and two. Yeah, and you can get in there on things like E.T. maybe and a few others, but these these two films, Star Wars and Jurassic Park, are are like absolute game changers. And you look at like even follow-ups like Titanic and Avatar, I don't even think they're in the mix. Like they're the two of the biggest films of all time, but like they don't, I don't even think come close to the caliber of what this film did to the audience did for technology and it did for the way that this story was told like everyone there's not a single person out there that i don't think has seen this movie yeah well you brought up avatar like go out onto the street and ask 15 people and i think you'd be hard pressed to find one that would say that they really like it i've i've literally seen it once i watched it when i was living in england i watched it in theaters, I own it. I've still never taken it out of the plastic wrap. Yeah, I think I saw it maybe once on video. Like, it was one of those where it came free with DVD players or Blu-ray players mm-hmm. when they first well, came out. That was the biggest pain in the ass with it, is that you could only get it with a Panasonic TV or Blu-ray player. Yeah. Because so they I had think... some some deal. So you, it wasn't like a normal movie release. Yeah. Like, I think my in-laws got it for free, and I watched it with my kid. But... Yeah, like I, I, I still remember coming home because we were like kind of newly married at the time. And uh, my wife was like, well, how was it? I was the big Avatar movie. I was like, it was basically the Michael Jackson Earth Song video with blue <laughs> aliens. Like that's kind of what it was for three hours. I, I don't know. Like it's, it's fine. But yeah, it, it's not indelible and didn't make a mark 
on the social consciousness and the pop culture zeitgeist like Jurassic Park did. Yeah. No, and like there's not there's not many films that do that. And I think maybe it's a bit of a generational thing, but I think this is one of the movies that will perpetually penetrate any sort of generation as long as you're old enough. Like I'm not going to show like I said last week my 6-year-old and I don't want her to turn out like Sanjay. <laughs> That's what we debated <laughs> last week. <laughs> but nonetheless, there is things they're doing with the IP now that is inviting new generations in, like Camp Cretaceous, which are still dealing with similar concepts, but making it more accessible to a younger generation. Because even going back to Jurassic Park, some of the, the issues around its initial release was you had all the parent groups up in arms because it was too violent. It was too scary for kids. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I remember... Like when my, because my daughter's like the closest Jurassic super fan to you kind of thing in my life. And she was like four or five. And I remember like I was making decorations for her frozen birthday party and I tipped quite a few drinks kind of thing, but it was Jurassic Park was on TV. And so she had been out with her mom and the two of them walk in and it was the T-Rex scene with like just kind of after the goat goes down and she walks in and she's just mesmerized by it. And it was before he attacks the Jeep and I turned the channel and she's like, no, I want to watch that. And you know, Jim Bean had uh, impinged my, (laughs) my parenting skills a bit. And so I was like, Oh, okay, let's see. And man, she now sleeps with two blues in her bed, like a stuffed one and this, freaking five foot plastic monstrosity kind of thing so awesome love it who who knows either it just created a super fan or irreparably damaged her i don't know but (laughs) hey man i'm fine i'm fine (laughs) and i've been a super man super fan my entire life so ah man that was great i i love discussing jurassic and hopefully we're gonna get to do some more of this towards the end of the month maybe breaking down the jurassic world series as we build into dominion here you know we're a year out from that film unfortunately it's been delayed due to the pandemic but it is a film that's going to see most of the original cast returning to the big screen to be chased by giant dinosaurs i can't wait it's gonna be so cool to see the likes of laura dern sam neill and jeff goldblum returning to this franchise 30 29 years later which ah man i can't ask for anything more and dude, I'm so happy that we we're able to have this this session talking about talking about Jurassic Park. And guys, we want to know what you think of Jurassic Park. We're celebrating Jurassic June here, so let us know what you guys think of these three films and your experiences with those films. You can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real, and you can find it over on Instagram. There's some stuff going up there, like Carlos mentioned earlier in the show. My Turtles video is going up. And guys, look out on YouTube this Friday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this day of drop, where my Jurassic Park collection will be going up on our YouTube page as well. And if you're there, check out what is now in the past, our live stream with Vigilante1939 on the new Disney Plus Loki series. So a ton of content coming to you guys. And of course, you can always find us over on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode. If you wanted to talk Jurassic, I'm here all day for it. Ian and I have been having some great DMs. He's a big Jurassic fan. I actually asked him to come on this, but we couldn't make it work with the time zones and all this. So maybe someday him and I will sit down and talk some Jurassic in a major way. But with all that being said, guys, and until next week, 
for the Nerd Room. I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. And thank you guys so much for joining us here on this journey through Jurassic. And thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.